You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a title game Monday and a women's title game hangover Monday after last night. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, We got a North Carolina, Kansas men's title game to preview tonight. We're going to have Porter Mosier on to give us a little scouting report of the Kansas side. And Joe Ovis is going to come on and talk about UNC, whether they could bounce back after a huge win over Duke Saturday. And of course, we'll talk to Destiny Henderson, the star of South Carolina's win over UConn last night. L. Duncan, who handled coverage all tournament long on the women's side. So we got some great guests tonight, Fitz. But before we can move on to tonight, we got to talk about one hell of a weekend of hoops. And let's make it Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Saturday night, how often do we have a game as hyped up as what we saw ahead of UNC Duke and actually have it be the kind of game that has 18 lead changes and six-plus minutes of tie game and so much on the line coming down to the last seconds. It was incredible. Yeah, it, I don't know why LeBron's here. Yeah, I don't know why LeBron's talking to us. but I don't know why Jay's here either. Probably because he's trying to get something <laughs> off his chest. He's trying to figure out why his team didn't win. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you, Jay. We we'll get to you. Uh, you had a lot to say this morning on KJM about this weekend. He and he had party voice for sure uh-huh. from screaming his face off as Coach K closed out his career. But, I mean, it was an, it was an insane game. So let me uh, let me paint a picture for you. Are you ready for this? All right. Yeah. Saturday, I had a, a Final Four show, digital show with Christine Williamson, and we did that. And afterwards, I, I had nothing to do. So I decided to go to a local brewery with uh, uh, some friends and watch the game and uh, may or may not have had a little bit of a coin riding on one of them. So I figured, like, we'll go hang uh-huh. out, right? So I, I show up uh-huh. at this brewery uh, in, in town only to find out that a buddy of mine is in the band that's playing at the brewery, and they're a country cover Ooh. band, right? So okay. he's like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you sit in and play a couple of songs? I was like, nice. you know what? I never do this. I'll do it. Sure. That's Give fun. me a fiddle. So I, I walk up to this little area at this brewery, and I'm playing the fiddle, and everybody starts going nuts. But the, the game's on behind them. So, like, in the <laughs> minds of everybody playing with me, they all think that they're going nuts while I'm playing the fiddle, and I'm watching the game behind them the entire time, realizing they're not applauding me. They're applauding the end of an epic game, and I'm mailing in what little I'm playing wow. at this point because I'm also watching it. So, yeah, that, that was my Duke, North Carolina experience. Uh, I was also at an establishment not playing the fiddle. Mm. I was imbibing a bit and watching it just go back and forth. And I really, what I couldn't believe about it, Fitz, not wasn't just that it went down to the end, but that for almost the entirety of the game, it was within two points. Like, not four points, not six points. It felt like every single moment was a two-point game. And an incredible job by UNC of staying strong and executing throughout everything. The pressure, the expectation. Same goes for Duke. Honestly, this was a Duke team that scored more off the bench, scored more in the paint, only had four turnovers, a couple missed free throws that are huge, obviously. But this came down to two teams who showed up and didn't let the moment get too much for them and just a UNC team that ended up on top when time ran out. Yeah. And it was it was a it was a moving scene when coach K was sort of out there shaking hands on his own and then walked off the court holding hands with his wife and that was it. That was the end. I felt like one of the most incredible things about this game is the game actually felt normal as it went down to the wire. Like it, to your point of the way pressure was handled, nothing about the way we were talking or watching the game felt normal, but the guys playing in it felt like they were just playing in a tight, epic Duke-North Carolina game. And I thought that was incredible. There were so many opportunities for the pressure to get to anybody in the process, and they didn't. So, uh, but, but to see the joy, the, just the sheer 
joy from North Carolina on the win reminded us all how much this game meant particularly and particularly to everybody on that team uh, we've talked all day and you've heard ESPN talking all day about what it means for the program but for those kids like that is an unforgettable moment they'll be able to mm-hmm. say forever that they ended the career well, of coach K and that's the sad thing for the Duke players and you saw how hard they took what they felt about their role in the end of his career no matter how hard they worked no matter how inexperienced they were and what a great run it was they were they were hurting. And and I think Coach K was too, because after the game, when he was asked a very valid question about his career, he said he didn't want to talk about it. I'm going to take a whole victory lap. I'm going to close out my career with a full year of everyone acknowledging how great I am. But now that it's officially over, I don't want to talk about it. I don't blame him, though. It, 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 of all the ways to go out, of all of the ways for your historic and legendary career to end, on the precipice of a title game against the biggest rival you've ever had, against a coach in his very first season at the helm there, um, it was an unbelievable finish. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, quickly, just the amount of petty that goes into rivalries like this. And if you're on the side of it, you are so excited. And if you are on the opposition, when the team that you hate the most gets one over on you, it hurts. But my friend Jack is a UNC grad. <laughs> and over the weekend, after the win, so yesterday, because the big game Saturday night, presumably woke up in an alley somewhere, recovered enough to hire a second-lined band in New Orleans and started with 40 of his friends. They had signs, you know, screw Grayson Allen and all the players that they hate. They had tombstones that said Coach K's career. They had a funeral for Kayville in, in, in North Carolina. And they marched down the streets of New Orleans, celebrating the end of Coach K's career, honoring, in heavy quotations, his career. Uh, And by the end of it, there was about 200-something of them. And the pettiness of paying a second-line band to march through the streets and celebrate your your opponent's ultimate demise... uh, Chef's kiss. Yeah, that's that's beautiful work by your friend. I wish I'd seen it, and I, I, I respect it. I respect it, every ounce of it. Uh, let's move on to last night. This was an incredible matchup between the team that was sort of wire-to-wire, the presumed favorite in South Carolina, against a UConn team that, as much as you want to scoff at it because of the amount of time that this team has spent on top, for this season – they went through a ton of adversity when it comes to injury. A super young team and a team that had not been in a final in a long time. A long time for a team that used to be perennial finals uh, finalists. And Coach K or Coach um, Gino, I'm sorry, had been 11 and 0 in national title games. Fits, but here comes Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks, start to finish dominance. It felt like much of this year when you mentioned start to finish and their dominance, but also stunning for me, as much as we knew the size and length would make a difference, it felt stunning to watch every time that I felt like even when UConn was in the position to get a board, they just got just run mm-hmm. over in every right legal way. That, like they got overpowered. Uh, yes, woman hand. <laughs> that's a, they got overpowered every single time they were in position to make a play. It was stunning to watch them just not have the size necessary to even be able to put up a fight in this thing. I I, I was I was shooketh by the dominance that it took to win that, and it was it was make no bones about it an absolute butt whooping. It was a butt whooping, and to your point about the rebounds, 49-24. to 24. It was the second highest rebound differential in championship history of the women's NCAA tournament, and I think the second chance points were something like 15-2. to two. Uh, oh It God. was just, it was um, an absolute beat time from the inside out because it was Aaliyah Boston's presence, 11.16 rebounds. That's her 30th double-double of the year. But once they started focusing on Boston, Destiny Henderson said, 
I got this. 26 points, a career high, had her best game on the biggest stage, shut down Paige Beckers. Paige shot one for five with Destiny as her primary defender. This was a team effort. And you got Don Staley rocking a $5,000 Louis V jacket on the sidelines, uh, giving us swagger celebrating with the trophy, bringing it over to the student section, dancing in front of the media with it. Um, just the, such a different vibe fits than a lot of what we've seen from the winning coaches of the past. Yeah, there, there, there was a vibe to everything that you saw, such a different energy to all of it. And uh, look, we can talk dynasties all day long, but what has been built in South Carolina is nothing short of tip of the cap impressive. And the way that Don Staley goes about business, like it just mm-hmm. from the from the outset of that game, and I saw you were live tweeting so much of it too. Like from the outset of the game, the energy felt different from South Carolina, and it was it was palpable. And it, it just you can't I can't get that out of my head. It was an absolute statement win for that program, not just this team, but that program. John Staley, the first black coach, male or female, to win two Division One basketball titles. That's wild. That's wild. And as usual, she's using the net from the championship game and distributing pieces of it. In the past, she has done it to other black head coaches around the women's game. She said this time, black journalists and black men's head coaches who aren't getting the opportunities that she believes they should. She is always looking to pay it forward in her biggest, most glorious moments, and that's impressive. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. I can't let this segment go without also mentioning the GOATs, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. Holy cow, that was the most entertaining. I had to DVR that separately last night because I wanted to watch the game and all the commentary about the actual strategy. And and then I had to go back and watch Sue and Diana cut it up. Not safe for work. So good. Give them a show immediately. (laughs) Uh, Coming up, South Carolina would not be natty champs last night if not for the player who's going to join us next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Men's National Title Game Night. We'll get to all of that later. But, man, we still got to get into last night. South Carolina guard Destiny Henderson joining us here on Spain and Fitz. An incredible game, Destiny. Not only on the offensive side, you dropped a career-high 26 points, but you absolutely shut down Paige Backers. You prevented her from taking over this game to help your team get the win. What was it about last night that sort of, you know, brought the best out of you? Um, I just knew the fight and how much bad, like, our, our team wanted to win, and including myself and we just been working for that moment since day one, and we just knew that we had to come out with a lot of fire, and um, we just really had to hit first and just lay it out all on the table that last night. It really felt like in the beginning of the game, you guys came out with so much energy and, and hit Connecticut right in the mouth from the outset. What was it about the beginning of the game, particularly, that had you guys so fired up? Um, well, first and foremost, we wanted to be national champions, and that really um, just fueled us. And we knew that we knew what it felt like to be in the Final Four. And, um, you know, we got the opportunity last year but fell short. So this year we just wanted to make a statement and really just, you know, get the job done. Destiny, the, the interior presence of Aaliyah Boston um, was obviously huge out-rebounding them by 20-something rebounds all night long. The paint 
was very clearly in your favor. But when UConn started to focus on Aaliyah and really made her get her scoring from the free throw line instead of from the field, you stepped up. Were you guys having conversations about that on the court, in the huddle? You know, was Dawn telling you, hey, listen, they're going to keep collapsing and you need to be ready? Um, yes and no. I feel like it was just a mixture of everything. <laughs> um. Um, I feel like Don does a really good job of um, just leading us, and um, as far as all the people that's on the on the floor that's playing or that I'm playing with, um, we do communicate with each other, and you know we we let each other know like um, what's going on, and um, if you know if we miss open opportunities to score or if someone shot the ball and we had a you know a better opportunity, you know we'll let each other know. So um, I feel like that's really good communication on our end um, that'll, that'll open up shots for us. There were several times in the game, Destiny, from a viewer standpoint, where you guys had a big lead and it felt like UConn went on a little run, right? They'd make it just close enough that you wondered if this was going to get uncomfortable. What did you guys do to continue to capture momentum back? Um, well, I feel like we – we had losses where, or we had bad games where we felt like the second, well, like the second half, uh, particularly in the fourth, um, we we let our foot off the gas. So when we felt felt that, um, we just we just knew that we had to turn it up a little bit more and just recognize how much longer we have left to play. And I felt like that was a little momentum um, for us just to keep pushing it. And until the, the buzzer went off. National champion Destiny Henderson with us here on Spain and Fitz guard for South Carolina. You know, Destiny, you spent two seasons on the bench coming off and playing the role that you needed to to help this team. And after the win last night, Don Staley made sure to point out publicly on the mic the members of the team that helped prepare you and the rest of the starters to face a UConn, to beat the other teams en route to a national title. How important is that culture at South Carolina to understand and for you to want to stick around and work your way to a starting position instead of transferring or instead of getting frustrated coming off the bench? Um, I feel like a lot of people on our team don't get recognized as much and don't get it, you know, as much as playing time as they would want, but they do a really good job of preparing, you know, the people that are, are that are, are playing those minutes a lot. And, um, just everybody role on the team is just really important. Um, no matter, you know, who gets talked about the most at the end of the day, we're all national champions. When does it set in that you accomplish the goal and you're a national champion? Um, you said when does it set in? Yeah, like when do you just look around and say, "Heck yeah, I did that. We did that. This is amazing." <laughs> well, that was like today. Um, you know, like when I just had like a little, a little dime, a little downtime to myself because it's just been really crazy and, and you know, really busy. So, um, yeah, it was just. On our, on our flight way back where, you know, I wasn't really um, getting too many um, calls and text messages where I can just sit and think. Yeah. Destiny, it seems like Don Staley is an incredibly fun coach to play for. Demanding, yes, expectations are high, wants to win. But, I mean, she's dancing on the court. She's talking about how she wants to look rich and she's wearing 
you know, Louis and Balenciaga and Gucci. Like, it's a very different vibe than some other places. What's it been like to play for Dawn as a head coach? It's been amazing. Um, she's just a great coach, as you said. Like, like yes, you know, it can be hard to be a player to play for um, a coach like her because she wants you to do great. And sometimes it, it puts you in uncomfortable situations because um, – you you just have to get better and you just have to understand the game more um, from different perspectives. And, you know, just outside of basketball, like her personality is really, really great. And, you know, she gets along with everyone so well. And, you know, she tries to stay in our era of, you know, dance and, and um, just, you know, clothing and all type of things. Like she's just, she's just awesome. It's awesome uh, to watch her succeed. It's awesome to watch you guys sort of wire to wire after last year's heartbreaking loss in the last second to Stanford to put your minds to something and to achieve it, and, and you had a hell of a game last night. Thanks so much for the time, Destiny. Congratulations. Congratulations, Destiny. Thank you so much. South Carolina guard Destiny Henderson with us on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Bundle and protect today under one roof. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. You know, speaking of Don Staley, Fitz, the inevitable happened after that win last night and this little mini dynasty she's got going. Uh, people talking about her going and potentially coaching in the men's game. I got no problems with that. I'm always torn on it. It's like you don't have to go to the men's game and have success there to be validated. But at the same time, if you're one of the greats, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't be considered. Oh, a thousand percent. I just wonder. It makes me think of some of the great uh, female athletes and coaches we've talked to on this show that talk about the responsibility they feel to grow the sport. I, I have to wonder if when Don Staley looks around the landscape, realizing that she could break a, a glass ceiling that could help future generations, mm-hmm. I wonder if that makes her feel a pressure to do that, which I would hate for anybody. Like, I just want her to be able to be her great self wherever she wants to do it and kick ass wherever she wants to do it. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, too, she's already breaking down some of those ceilings with nearly $3 million salary this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, same goes for, um, you know, Anybody who's coaching in the NBA, do I consider maybe going to the WNBA so that the salaries go up and the prestige of those jobs goes up? It's a constant pull and push with that, and a push and pull for that matter. Uh, National championship tonight. We're going to get some insight on the UNC side coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Wake me up before you JoJo. That's uh, that's how I'm oh, going to start no. this. Thank really? you. You're, well, really? you know, that's what happened, Sarah. Like, they let me start oh, an interview, and things get unprofessional. Joe Ovias <laughs> from 99.9 The Fan in North Carolina. Nobody's ever brought you in that way, right, brother? Like, that's a first? Are we? Yeah, for good reason. I mean, bringing a little wham into you know, this. People have we, self-respect. You know, I, I th- 
Fitz, no, I love you, but mm-hmm. at this point, I'm only talking. I'm only talking to. I'm only talking to Sarah. Okay, that's, that's it. That, that. I have that coming, and I'm sure the next time I'm on your show, I'll get burned for the way I just watch you. Uh, I-, I was thinking of you earlier today because I was listening to ESPN Radio, and they were asking, "Has the essentially has everything already been won? Is the national championship just sort of the cherry on top? North Carolina beats Duke. That's all that matters. You're down there. You're in the area. What's the sense from Carolina fans on the importance of tonight's game?" Being in New Orleans for that Final Four game on Saturday, you know, I, I didn't think that being in Cameron Indoor Stadium could be pa- surpassed in surreal environments and endings, right? You know, like watching 96 former Duke players standing behind the bench watching in horror as Carolina beats them in Kay's last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium could be surpassed. It, it was. It was on Saturday in New Orleans in the sense that around here, we've talked about the hypothetical of what would happen if these two teams met in the Final Four or a championship game. The closest it's happened was back in 1991. And I think fans understood that while it's fun to talk about, the reality of it was not something that they were prepared for. I think we're still processing what Saturday meant. And adding to that is Mike Krzyzewski's career, which is incredible, but also aligned with being embarrassed in the last year with those games that Cameron endured last night. Like Carolina literally put them on a golf cart and sent them out the building. (laughs) Carolina did that. So that is the thing that we're going to be dealing for a long time around here with rivalry dynamics. And if it's a Carolina situation against Kansas, if they lose, I think most Carolina fans will be perfectly okay because Saturday really was the thing. To your point, my friend Jack hired a second-line band and walked through the streets of New Orleans with signs for Coach K's career death. Uh, They eulogized him. It started with about 40 people. By the time they were done, it was over 200. He sent me videos of it, and I said, how are you going to raise the bar after this with a win on Monday? And he said, it's not even yet necessary. Yesterday was everything. If we lose tomorrow, I'll sleep fine. I was shocked yeah. that he said that, and I know how big that moment was, but how do you then get the players to not, even if it's subconsciously, have a letdown tonight? Well, I think this is a credit to Hubert Davis, uh, the head coach at North Carolina, who has, from that game in Cameron on, he's been able to get the team to understand, let's just focus on the basketball. Don't worry about anything else. And that resulted in a win because Hubert Davis said, we're not here for the ceremony. We're here for a game. They came through. I think you saw it again against St. Peter's, right? You know, everything's on St. Peter's. Holloway, what's the next job? Cinderella. It was the scene. It was the event. Carolina came at it with the same business attitude. That's strictly a Hubert Davis personality trait that this team has taken on late at the right time. So to that end, I think they'll be able to do the same thing tonight against Kansas. But if they lose to Kansas, I don't think it's because of some sort of emotional letdown. I think one thing, and and I'm guilty of this, having been on Radio Row Thursday and Friday, we didn't talk about Kansas and Villanova, right? (laughs) Uh, We didn't – I'm sure somebody could – I don't know. Jason, want to, like, do a remix of we don't talk about Bill Self or something like that? (laughs) I don't know. So, like – so the, the so Kansas I think has a chip on its shoulder of you all you all thought Saturday night was the championship game let's go ahead and put the hammer right. down on this I think that's a credit to Kansas more so than any sort of emotional letdown for Carolina tonight if Kansas wins.
if Armando Baycott is, let's say, 75% of himself, can North Carolina win this game? Yeah, because I do think that the key factor for Carolina is the play of Caleb Love. Um, there's another song for you, Love Roller Coaster. So <laughs> Caleb Love is somebody who last year was maddening to watch. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Caleb Love might have contributed to Roy Williams retiring. Like, I just, I, I can't get, I can't get through, all right? Want it off I can't the ride. get through. <laughs> right. That going. and parents, like, like Walker Kessler, you know, transferring to Auburn. Like, that never happens to Roy Williams. Like, Roy Williams never dealt with transfers like that. Unless you came from California, he, he, you stayed at Carolina. So, I think those factors led to Roy Williams retiring. So, Caleb Love, from the pit loss on, has had his ups and downs. But when he's locked in, he has made himself some money in the NCAA tournament. And after a sl- they survived a slow start in that first half against Duke, what was the difference in the second half? Caleb Love was absolutely on fire. And even though Duke tried to answer, Wendell Moore had big shots, Trevor Keels had big shots. It was a high-level second-half game. And it, to me, it comes down to Mark Williams missing those key free throws. Yeah. But Caleb Love's three was the difference maker. And I think that's the other key factor tonight. He's got to stay in the same level that he's been throughout March. And Brady Manick also needs to start out hot, too, because he's also been unbelievably great, not just offensively, but let's not forget that he made Paolo Bancaro work on Saturday night. I'm not saying that Brady Manick's some sort of elite defender, but he played like I played my Little League games, right? Get run over slowly. Just get in the way, man. That could be effective. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Joe Ovius. Ovius. Obvious, you got it. Jojo. No, no. Now, uh, you, now you're looking like my. Now you look like my Twitter mention. Ninety-nine point nine, the fan in North Carolina. Uh, let's let's talk about Baycott because minus eighty with him off the court, plus three hundred something with him on. He's got thirty double doubles. He is obviously mm-hmm. a massive part of this. But if he's not a hundred percent, if he's a liability, if he can't move laterally, if they can get him in foul trouble, that could be it, right? It it could be a wrap if he's not able to really go. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with you on that. I I think the health factor might be a little overstated. I think what you said with foul trouble will be the key factor for Armando Baycott. So, and and we saw this on Saturday night with Mark Williams at Duke, too. He got early foul trouble, and again, Duke survived without him on the court. So, it'll be it's curious to me to see how Hubert Davis manages to buy minutes, buy time if Armando Baycott gets into foul trouble. Uh, But I can't I I can't imagine the you know, 75%, 80%, whatever. Armando Baycott has been here a while. He gets what it's about at North Carolina. You come to Carolina because you want to win titles. You go to the Smith Center and you see all the names in the Raptors. You see the titles. Baycott has not experienced that. So he's one game away from doing it. He's going to power through whatever it might be ailing him. It's the foul trouble that would be concerning because you're right. They are very, very uh, shallow when it comes to that position. This is the most important question for you, Joe. Uh, I'm in one of those capture brackets, and, you mm-hmm. know, if your team covers whatever, like, it's a complicated explanation, but I have captured <laughs> okay. all the way to Kansas. So I am in this final, and the size of the TV that I'm about to buy for my house will dictate will be dictated by whether or not Kansas wins by more than four. How, like, am I, am I, am I it's the, that's the point spread right now, Kansas by four. So am I going to, am, am I going to be able to get the bigger TV or the littler TV? <sighs> 
Ooh, man, that's a tough one. I know. Uh, first off, I'm terrible with these types of questions as it relates to uh, uh, wagering. Uh, I don't. I. Ugh, I just. I can't. I can't. I let. I let my cats make uh, the decisions. So I'm gonna. Ooh. I think. I. I think. I think you're gonna get. You need more than four, right? I need four. Yeah, I need Kansas to win by more than four. I think. I think that's gonna happen. Kansas oh, to win yes. by more than four. Man, you know what? When I'm hanging that bad boy, I'm gonna think of you. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Ovias. Uh, Joe Ovias. We're all gonna learn how to say your name. Listen to him on 99.9, the fan in North Carolina. Joe, my friend, I always appreciate you. Uh, let it, Joe. Let it, Joe. We appreciate you hanging out with us. <laughs> all right, guys, take it easy. Sarah, I'm not sure he's ever going to come on the show again after the intro and uh, outro of that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Speaking of things that I can't stand, how about the Lakers and then – oh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We all love the Lakers because they get great ratings. But that's not what we should be talking about. Maybe we've gotten the entire equation wrong in the NBA about what's worth a conversation. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Obviously – We had a wild weekend of college basketball, and we're going to continue to break down what we saw last night, plus get you ready for what we will see tonight with the men's national championship game. But it was also a crazy weekend in the NBA that may have solidified some of the thoughts we've already been having about who's good, who's bad, and who's worth paying attention to. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, look, at this point, it's just a massive dumpster fire in L.A. for the Lakers. Like, there's no nice way to... To put any of this, they've now lost six straight. Anthony Davis is out here talking about injuries and what could have been. He's singing what might have been. That's his That's his go-to jam right now, Sarah. And uh, it's easy to do, but I, I'm looking across the NBA specifically at what might have been and wondering how we got here in a world where the Nets are looking at the 10 seed in the play-in. The, the Lakers are not even in the play-in at this point. Like This season has gone wildly, unpredictably bad for two of the teams that I think everybody was just ready to make a reservation for in the NBA Finals a year ago. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant is saying that it was all about his knee injury in mid-January. Oh. That was the thing that derailed the season. And of course... A serious injury to Kevin Durant, as great a player as he is, is going to have a serious effect. But Kyrie out of the lineup, right? That's a huge part of it. James Harden not wanting to be there, that's a huge part of it. Um, Durant said after practice today, I'm not looking at it like we're just not a good basketball team. It's like there wasn't a lot of continuity with me and Kyrie out of the lineup, and that's just what it is. When we're all on the floor together, I like what we got. That could be the tagline for the Nets since they acquired Kyrie and Kevin. When we're all on the floor together, we like what we got. And guess how often that's happened over the last two seasons of this quote-unquote super team? So rarely that they are likely to get out of this experiment. And by the way, the experiment already ended because James Harden is no longer a net. But this experiment, at least with Kyrie and Kevin, they're going to get out of it with nothing to show. Because Bobby Marks, our ESPN NBA front office insider, said on game night, he doesn't think that just getting into the play-in uh, is is anything anything to be proud of because he doesn't think they're going to get out of it. What am I missing that still has the Nets as a favorite? Everybody says, oh, it's all, you know, they got KD, you know, and Kyrie will come back. And But I, I'm looking at the rest of the roster here, and I know tonight in Atlanta they're shorthanded, no Dragic, Curry, uh, Bruce Brown here. I don't see Ben Simmons stepping on the court for the play-in, they get to a first round, maybe if a team advances here. So certainly from a depth standpoint, they are lacking. 
I mean, and we he, know now that Ben Simmons has officially been ruled out for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, even if Ben Simmons were able to make some miraculous playoff return at some point, what do you expect from Ben Simmons? It's been so long since we've seen him play any meaningful basketball. I think that's a bit of a stretch. And, you know, you start looking at, at the expectations that we had, and injuries are always going to be part of the conversation. But isn't it true that basically every team this year in the NBA could at some point use that as their crutch for their reason why things went off the rails? Like, I'm looking at a Memphis team that's won seven in a row and they don't have job. Like, I know that, that it's not always a if this, then that for every team, but the Suns have had their fair share of injuries. The Warriors are sitting here with the three seed and we're talking about how broken the whole thing is. The Grizzlies. But, I, I mean, yeah. Like, they're, they're like 19 and two without job. I mean, you you look across the board and you have teams everywhere dealing with injuries that are still playing well. The fact is the Nets and the, the Lakers just stink. Well, the Lakers are not a team that had any room for error. They were already going to be probably not constructed in a way that anyone with half a mind about these things believed would find success. We were very confused from the start of the season about the decision-making around letting people like Caruso go, about selecting someone like Westbrook instead of DeRozan, about bringing in the old heads who used to be great 1A, 1B players, and now are not the kind that can dive on loose balls, play shutdown defense, be effective night in and night out. So it's not that surprising. But I guess what's surprising is to look at LeBron's success, and I'll put that in quotations, as a scoring threat, and Anthony Davis's absence yet again, and to, to watch over the end of the regular season how it has continued to slide. At one point it was, you know, can they hang in and at least be in a 7-8 spot where they have a little bit of a benefit when they face the play-in winner. Then it was, all right, well, as a play-in team, you're still dangerous. Anyone who's got LeBron is dangerous. Now they're on the outside looking in fits. And they could just miss the postseason altogether, even if LeBron potentially could still get the scoring title. They are 16 games under 500, Ooh. and they are 31 games back of the Suns for the top seed. I just Ooh. have to say that in context, because <laughs> like when you read the numbers and they've lost six straight, like their away record right now is 11 and 27. Like, when you think about how – that's not just bad. That's a wildly huge barrel of suck. Like, that's mm. just a different mm -hmm. level of awful. Now, Magic Johnson uh, obviously knows the Lakers better than most. He was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. This is what he said about the Lakers and where their downfall is. We got 15 individuals. Mm. This hasn't been – we've been playing as a unit. It's been uh, more or less a uh, great game by LeBron or – maybe a great game by Russ or a great game by AD, but it's never been – when we do something great, do you see everybody high-fiving, hugging? Like the other teams, they be running out to half court greeting their guys, and you don't see that with the Lakers. To yeah. that, well, to that end, sir, I, I keep thinking about what you were just talking about with the Nets and the Lakers and the lack of depth in the way that they built their roster. Not, not just depth from like a bench perspective, but just – a starting five and then I start thinking about who is really good the Suns and the Grizzlies the Warriors we just mentioned the Mavericks if you look in the east the Heat the Celtics the Bucks we're talking about teams there that aren't defined by a big three or a big two they're they're just they're better team they're better built teams top to bottom and that's pretty clear to see now yeah I mean obviously you look at a combination of Chris Paul and Devin Booker and again another team that suffered some pretty serious injuries and still been able to put together the best record in the league um 
that's a that's a big one and a half. I mean, I'm not taking any slights on Chris Paul, but he's not. Um, he's he's an he's an older player. He's still going to give you a ton. Um, but supported and buoyed by up and coming young guys with a ton of talent. The bu- the Bucks put together a team around Giannis. Yeah, they went and grabbed some successful players, but that's a Giannis led team with a clear one A. Same with the Mavs. You know, that's a Luka team with a clear one A that's got talent around him. Even something like the Heat or the Celtics. Yeah, Tatum and Butler, those are max player type guys, but they're not LeBron, KD. They're not the they're not the one A superstar. And you know, I think there was a moment in time where we would argue that a team could not win an NBA title without two ones. And I don't know if that's the case right now. It's yet to be seen, but we saw it last year with the Bucks. Everyone knows that that's a one superstar team and they managed to win it despite that. And I think maybe some of these experiments that are following in the footsteps of the big three in Miami are not looking quite as promising now after looking at what the Lakers and even the Nets have done. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, and RV, and more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it can be covered. All you got to do is go to Progressive.com or call 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. If you like the phone still, probably, uh, probably, whoa, because it probably can be. I'm going to learn how to read. That's going to be my thing. Uh, No, I'm not. But I am going to learn to admit when I'm wrong about things, Sarah. And I was one of those that I, I remember sitting there two years ago saying, look, if you have AD and LeBron, it doesn't matter if you have me, you, and Devin as the rest of the starting five. You're going to be just fine, Devin being our producer extraordinaire. What what I think we've learned is that that logic right now isn't working, and maybe there's more depth of talent across the board in the NBA for the rest of it because to your 1-1-A point, like the Lakers in theory had two megastars, and the thought was you put any player around them You'll be fine. Everybody else that we're looking at that's having success, there isn't that massive drop-off into, yeah, it's it's two guys and a bunch of guys. You still mm-hmm. have to have better pieces around. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what the old heads will tell you about the game and the young folks will want to deny. And not all young folks, not the experts, not the ones watching day in and day out, but it is much easier to get excited about a couple big names than it is to do the work to understand the chemistry around a team and the pieces that will make it go. And that's why it's fun to talk about teams like the Grizzlies, even when Jaws out, or the Suns all season long, because you're watching a team put it together and make it work. Yeah, I, I it's hard for me not to root for those sorts of stories right now in an NBA with so much young talent. In the meantime, hard not to root for women's college basketball after an incredible night last night. We'll talk to one of the people that was on the broadcast there in Minneapolis next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Last night, the NCAA Women's Tournament gave us an incredible national champion with South Carolina just kicking the you-know-what out of UConn in a great game and, frankly, a great broadcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and uh, we're going to get to that broadcast right away because it is time to hang out with the great Elle Duncan. You can see her on ESPN Sports Center all over the place, but uh, obviously uh, she was heading up the broadcast. L, always appreciate your time. we got to start in the obvious place. You were in Minneapolis, uh, so it, you, Prince references everywhere. The Prince references were all over the place. It was like an Easter egg. Uh, so I need your professionalism here. Like, was that something that you pre-wrote? Was that something that was off the cuff? Like, how did you go about that? 
I wish I was that clever. I um, So thank you. I, it's funny because I knew I wanted to do some print stuff, right? I mean, obviously, we're in Minneapolis. And I had a chance to look at some of what, like, our scenics looked like and things like that beforehand. So I'm sitting – I had sort of wrote something, and I didn't love it. And I tend to write things – I'm sure this is the same way that you guys are, right? You write something, you sort of sit with it, you don't love it. So I'm telling everyone, we're sitting down by the hotel – like lobby one day after we were done working and I was telling them I want to incorporate like Prince references and I'm just trying to do it in a way that's not like crazy overt but like would fit and you guys it's like me Carolyn Peck Rebecca Lobo Holly Rowe Nikki Fargus we're all just sitting there just throwing these puns out and I'm writing them all down um and then I I just had to sort of figure out how I was going to incorporate them into the uh into the show but no it was it was super fun. I was most proud at the very end. I did come up with something on the fly. Um, I said this to her as well on the broadcast. I don't I don't know if you were still watching by then, but I I embarrassed myself by saying to Destiny Henderson, I said, Destiny, Chino Ariema was undefeated in national championships. But what he didn't realize tonight was that he had a date with Destiny. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> that is so chuckled and it was like she was definitely was a pity laugh which was fine um i, I took it the moment. We'll take those. and we'll take those uh but yeah i was most to. proud yeah. of that let's yeah. do everything i'm most proud of my puns no i'm just kidding <laughs> the uh the entire all, all of the coverage was great all the interviews were great um also there are two destinies on south carolina which is wild uh so yeah. it really was a date with destinies mm-hmm. uh, yeah and yeah. it felt like this was almost written in the stars after last year the, the focus on Aaliyah Boston, the immediate tears. I've never seen tears come so fast to someone recognizing the opportunity lost on that putback shot against Stanford that would have sent them to the title game. And it felt like she was a woman on a mission. This team was on a mission from the beginning. And watching Dawn Staley lead the way. Oh, this is the fifth straight women's national title won by a team led by a woman. After seeing mm-hmm. Gino and... The, uh, the male coaches dominate for so long. It feels like there is not only a shift in terms of this potential dynasty in, in the Gamecocks starting a run here, but also just the parity across the landscape and with NIL and transfers and everything else. It just feels like the women's game is very different now. And every year is really up, up for anybody if you could put together the right squad and coach them up. Yeah, because as you know, Sarah, I mean, you're right. Obviously, you hit the nail on the head, but you, you remember in 2020, South Carolina was streaking towards the national championship, too. Like, and then COVID happened and they had to cancel the tournament. So, a lot of people think this might have been Don's third, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it's funny because the women that I, that I have been working with, that I've been so fortunate to work with, they've really told me sort of, you know, whenever I. I'm new to this, you know, like in terms of doing the broadcasting aspect of this. And I would sort of, you know, joke with them while we were watching these upsets happen over and over in the tournament and go so much for parody. And, you know, I really got checked by them. Like in a pot, they were like, oh, this, I, every year we have to say this. And like, there is parody. There has been parody. Like this is not the early 2000s UConn that just, you know, would win four straight. Like there, we've had a different champion for five straight years. So um, I think that that, I think that, you know, the equity review, Right, Sarah, that happened um, after Sedona Prince's video went viral. Mm -hmm. I think that has, um, I'll just put it in quotes and say it nicely, like encouraged some other brands to realize (laughs) that within their own, right, partnerships and sponsorships, there was not equity. And before they got called out, they wanted to come on board. 
I mean, some of these women that I was working with were like, we've been doing this tournament every single year for, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years. We've never seen these kinds of brands here. We've never seen this kind of love and attention paid to the women. There was a couple of times where, like, we would be doing TV yesterday, and my co-hosts were like, like, Nikki or, or Carolyn or Rebecca would be like, wait, are we still on ESPN1? I'm like, yes, <laughs> we are. They're like, I was thinking wow. that last night. As the post game yeah. kept going, I was thinking, hot damn. We are still yeah. on the, the interviews and the celebrations, and the, and it was really cool. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I do give it to ESPN in that aspect. Obviously, you know, I'm going to sound like a company man here, but I'll just say from – I don't I've – ne- I've never done it before, but from everything that everyone in this group and in this space is telling me, like, this is the most by far and away robust coverage yes. that we've ever done, that really anyone's ever done. Um, the all-access practice was so cool. Like, the women had never even had a chance to do that before that equity review, to say March Madness. That place was packed. The Target Center was packed for a for a practice, you know, to sound like Allen Iverson. Like, it was just the, to see the little girls there, like the little girls that were telling me things like, you know, I'm, I'm watching ESPN. I see the Sarah Spains. Like, I see these young women um, who are so involved and asking questions at press conferences. I don't know. It was just not to, like, get, like, crazy little affair on you, but it just was, like, so amazing to be surrounded by women from top to bottom behind the scenes in front of the camera like I have yeah. never been on anything like that um, unless I do something you know with with you Sarah with W so to yeah. work on a group like it just it it my cup runneth over despite the fact that it is a lot of work <laughs> well, and, and I will say loudly as I've been saying I, I, I'm equally proud of the work that the company did and by the way I thought yeah. you guys did a fantastic job with your title nine conversation last night it was it was deep it was important it was really handled well so uh, when you talked so much about this environment, obviously you were around Coach Staley also uh, a lot mm-hmm. through this process. What is it that makes her so different? Um, well, I just think that she she's on top of the fact that she's like a motivational speaker. When we were at the uh, the practice, she said something that keeps sticking with me. Right, there are things that people just sort of say and then they stick to your ribs because we yeah. are fortunate enough to be around a lot of really inspirational people who have a lot of really interesting things to say and are very introspective, but. She called herself a dream merchant a couple of days ago yeah. at the practice, and I just I, right and like and then she said it again last night. And I'm so glad that she did because the All Access practice was on ESPN Plus, and if you weren't watching that, you wouldn't have heard it. Um, and I thought that was so special because she truly found this place to put her gift. Right, how gifted she was as a basketball player, she found a place to put all of that passion and energy and talent and she's like whatever it looks like for my each one of my players that's what I want to be a merchant of it's not always winning a national championship that's obviously our goal right like that's why we're here that's why I'm building this program this way like that's the ultimate goal but like what is your goal personally and if that is just that you want to graduate or that you want to um, you know learn to be patient like that's what I want to help you do, whatever your next step is or this one. And so I think what makes her special is that her team just respects the hell out of her. Like they joked, um, the team joked when we had a chance to meet with him a few days ago about how like Destiny Henderson is just the most like, she is so cool, calm and collected. She shows like no emotion ever, good or bad. She's never high or low. And last night to hear her talk about Dawn and get choked up because she's more than likely leaving the program. Like I just think it tells you, they say the same thing. She's tough on them, but that's okay because they know at the end of the day her heart and how invested she is in them as people. And you could see it with all the alum from South Carolina that were in the building yesterday. 
It's awesome, Elle. You did such a fantastic job. And I will say that after all the excitement and enthusiasm and positivity last night, I still took to social media to point out the ways that the NCAA needs to do better because I think the conversations that we as women are having and evolving go from being grateful to being grateful and demanding more because when we rest on the idea that things have gotten better, we tend to sometimes forget just how far behind still things are, whether that's revenue going to schools for accomplishments at the tournament level, whether that's the CBS Turner deal that dictates that all of the money earned by every championship drops into the bucket under men's basketball, which is how people can continue to call women's basketball a money loser when it's valued at $60 million a year, when we've got 5 million people watching and people still say nobody watches. Like that stuff is still persuasive and pervasive. And I think we need to continue to shout down those things in plain words so that when people are watching, they can spread the gospel of the truth so that we can get past some of that antiquated BS that continues to bog down the better and more important conversations about this stuff. A whole sermon, Sarah. You're right. I was really glad that Don took the opportunity. Truly, it, it was. And I love that Don took the opportunity yesterday to speak on that um, on ESPN and, you know, give 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 ESPN credit. But, like, also, and ESPN knows that, too. You know, um, you know, you work with these women, Sarah. Like, you know that there are conversations happening on the inside. But, as you also know, right, it requires real allyship because women did not create this problem. Women should not be charged with solving this problem. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to make sure that these conversations are not just happening at the Women's National Championship, but also mm-hmm. at the Men's National Championship. That's right. You guys can follow her on Twitter at ESPN. Watch her all over the place. Just kick ass at everything she does. L, <laughs> you are the oh, best, I love my you guys. friend. Thank Thanks you for, for having me so much. Thanks, I love you Go take y'all. a nap, maybe, okay. but after you pick I am. Your kids. Well, yeah. no, you know there's no naps with kids, so <laughs> just, I'm going to just, like, fight the good fight till I Disney inevitably plus, pass man. out at, like, Disney, 830. Disney Plus. Yeah. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. y'all. It's wildly possible that L won't get a nap, but it's also possible that we're taking a nap on somebody we should be talking about for the NBA MVP race. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain hanging out with Jason Fitz. And uh, obviously we've got a national championship game to get you ready for tonight. We'll get back to that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, talking to a coach that knows Kansas particularly well. Excited for that one. But before we do any of the college basketball stuff, Sarah, there's plenty of NBA talk that's come out of the weekend. And we were talking earlier about expectations and conversations. But one thing that we haven't necessarily talked a lot about is the MVP race. And this year, it's getting a little tricky because there are certainly several players that feel like they should be in the conversation, not the least of which is Joel Embiid. This is what the Sixers center had to say at his press conference about the MVP award. If it happens, great. Uh, if it doesn't, I, I don't know what I had to do at this point. Uh, you know, at this point, I feel like, you know, I'm, uh, they hate me. So the standard for, you know, guys in Philly or for me is different than the standard than everybody else. Okay. All right. Listen. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I understand what he's doing if he's trying to throw a Hail Mary pass to try to influence voters to prove him wrong. We don't hate you. This isn't about you or the city you come from. There is no double standard. Here you go. Here's your MVP. But what he's saying is not accurate. Let me give you a couple stats. And listen, the last thing that Embiid wants involved in this discussion is stats, because that's where it's clear that Nikola Jokic should win. 
He's the first player in the top 10 in rebounds, points, assists, and field goal percentage in the last 50 seasons, 5-0. He has the highest single season PER ever. He has the first 25-13-6 season ever. He's actually better than that. He's at 27-14-8. and eight. He leads in win shares, value over replacement player, box plus minus, player efficiency rating, and on-off court margin. Now that would be enough, Fitz. But add into that that Jokic is is you know heads and tails above in advanced metrics. But if you just get down to the standard metrics by which we usually decide whether a player is doing well or not, that's points, rebounds, and assists. If you average every single MVP player in NBA history, you get a number of 43.8, and that's their average combined points, rebounds, and assists per game. There are six players doing it this season. That is tied for the most ever in one season. So you got Jokic, you got Embiid, but you also have LeBron, Durant, Doncic, and Giannis. So that's a ton of guys doing great things. So in his mind, Embiid is thinking, I'm doing amazing things. They're holding it against me. Something There must be some reason that I'm not doing enough. When in fact, it's just somebody's doing it better. That's the hardest part about all of it is trying to find out of the MVP award specifically some sort of perceived bias against you is difficult when we've laughed about the MVP for years and who doesn't get it so often. I mean, you could make a pretty compelling case that LeBron would basically was basically the MVP every year of his career, you mm-hmm. know, and you can make the case that uh, Kobe was an MVP uh, how many times and he I think he won one. So, you know, the the concept of the MVP is such a difficult one. KD has won MVP award. You know, you can go up and down the list and look at how difficult it is. By the way, uh, Giannis uh, is somebody that we've talked in the last week has been slept on a little bit. And while the Bucks didn't have a great weekend with a couple of losses, including one uh, to the to the Mavs, he's certainly been in the zone. The Monday Roundup brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. You have to think about this MVP conversation with the context, not a bias, but on what you're up against. And, you know, no matter what you what you think the perception is for Joel Embiid, it's hard for me to, to see some world that has spread some hate to his game or some hate to Philly. Like, I feel like, if anything, we've spent how much time praising Embiid through the course of the last year and a half, especially with everything that went on with Simmons. And we spent much of this season praising Embiid's ability to play through anything and questioning, hey, would the addition of Harden force him to do less because he's done so much? I feel like we this year have been, like, waving a flag of fandom all year for Embiid. So for him to say it's a personal thing makes zero sense to me. It, it makes sense if you believe that he's doing it to try to curry favor or to influence voters. I think if you made him sit down and asked him in an honest moment if he believed that any reason for him not to win is based in actual hatred or holding against him what team he's on, I, I just I just disagree. Um, you've got Devin Booker, who's not even mentioned. <laughs> he's on the best team in the league. He's averaging 27 points, five rebounds, five assists. He's shooting 38% from three. Like, the last 12 players in league history to average at least 25-5-5 and for the team with the best record all won MVP. And he's not even in the conversation. That's not because he hasn't earned it, but because this is an insane MVP race. Like I said, you've got six guys putting up the averages that an MVP has across the history of the league. You've got right now, Jokic and Giannis would each set a new single season PER, breaking Giannis's record from a couple years ago. Embiid's all the way down at 16. If you had any other season in NBA history, 
you would never have more than one player in the top 20 of this season. That's how good it is. So it's fine if he's using this speech to try to, you know, push a few more votes his way. It's not really fine if he believes it. Look around, dude. Well, and and I laugh when you mentioned Devin Booker because I think about the conversation we had, uh, not we, but the conversation that was happening from basketball heads uh, when uh, Chris Paul was out and everybody said, oh, this is really going to be Booker's chance. Mm -hmm. Can Booker step up and do what it takes? Suns are still the one seed last yep. time I checked and have been wildly consistent for most of the season. So I, I, I look at that and say, what else are we looking for from Devin Booker? But you don't see him out here saying, I'm an MVP. And, and you know, to the point that we've had about who the favorite is, uh, Jokic right now, Vegas has uh, at minus 300 odds, uh, Embiid at plus 270 at Caesar Sportsbook. So there seems to be a pretty big, a pretty substantial favoring towards Jokic for this race. And that makes sense. Like, it's okay to say you are having a great, an MVP caliber season doesn't mean you have to be the MVP. Right. I mean, look around at all of the things that Jokic has going for him. As I mentioned, he's first in every single advanced stat. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's like 12 of them. He's first in all of them. He's also played better in terms of team performance. His biggest, he's got the biggest on-off differential. He's doing it without Jamal Murray. He's doing it without Michael Porter Jr. Like, go down the line, and the argument gets stronger and stronger. That's why I feel for Embiid and Giannis and everybody else, but it's Jokic's to lose, and if he doesn't get it, it's not going to be because of statistics or things that you can count. It reminds me a little of the Grammy conversation. You cannot win the Grammy, and it can just be because somebody else was better that year. All right, mm -hmm. why is Kansas so good? We'll ask an expert next. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, it's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're still high off last night's title game, but we got another one tonight, Kansas, UNC. Let's head out to chat with Oklahoma head coach Porter Mosier about this game. First, though, Porter, we got to start with the last times, couple times that we were talking on this show. It was about Loyola's crazy runs, you and Sister Jean. So I have to ask, were you sneaking a peek at them in the tourney this year? Oh, absolutely, Sarah. Like, I, I followed them. I mean, those are family. And, uh, heck, I tried to get Sister Jean the transfer portal. She turned me down. But she, uh, <laughs> she was, she was, uh, she stuck tight. She, she stayed faithful. But I, 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 absolutely, I watched all those games. I mean, I watched them all year. And I was, it's, t it's tough. We were like one of the last teams out. And yeah. it, it, it's hard for me because I really didn't watch the games. It just, I, I'm just, it's just hard not being in it. And you just sit there and, you know, I'm freaking recruiting all the whole tournament, <laughs> trying to build a team. <laughs> but I watched, but I watched the, the Loyola game and just, uh, you know, just really, really uh, excited for Drew and all he did there. Uh, we got to ask though, Coach. I mean, last time to Sarah's point, uh, you know, we talked to him, and then bam, all of a sudden you're at Oklahoma. So if you end up in the NBA after this, by the way, give us a call. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, let me tell you, I'm hoping to parlay this luck. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, for the adjustment this season, I mean, you moved to Oklahoma. How big was it uh, from an adjustment standpoint of coaching there versus where you were before? You know, the coaching part was is, is you know, not the adjustment. I mean, I, I really, you know, you, you know what you you know it's system you want to implement y'all the hard thing is the hard thing is um and you're gonna see it because you saw so many coaching changes here is with the transfer portal so mm -hmm. when i got the job when lon kruger retired the whole team was in the portal except a couple guys and we wow. had to sign 10 and then it was in a pandemic so i couldn't even have them on campus and break bread with them or go out and see their families and i'm and it just and then they, they couldn't come to campus till mid-june 
So it, it was, it's a process that not only them to get to know you, but they were trying to get to know each other. I'm seeing that happen. It's going to be a little side story that goes in the future with all these new coaches taking over and they're like the whole team leaves. And uh, it's going to take a minute to get a roster filled. But the adjustment was, was that trying to really implement because at Loyola and how you build a program is you get seven or eight guys to return every year. So when the new guys come in, they're like, this is how it's done. This is how our culture is. This is how we roll. And, uh, that's just hard when you first get there. So that was the biggest adjustment. And the pizza. And the pizza. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> I was going to say, close, and you're like <laughs> really in the Midwest now. Like Chicago is technically the Midwest, but we're not. I mean, we're all sorts of things. But you're like so- South Midwest. Like what even is Oklahoma? That's a different world. So we're, we're like two and a half hours from Dallas. We're right there. We're, we're actually close to Oklahoma City. I'm like 25 minutes to get to a Thunder game. And nice. uh you know, it, it's it's so I'm right there. A lot of great barbecue, a lot of great food. I mean, there's there's love, but but pizza, no, no. <laughs> they, 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 you know, I just and maybe it's because I'm spoiled with Chicago, but uh, that was an adjustment. All right, so coach, let's get to some of what to expect. Obviously, tonight we're looking at a Kansas team that had the Big Twelve Player of the Year, but you held a bond. Uh, a, ah, you held him every time I try to say his name on every show, Ochai Abaji, <laughs> to under twelve points in your matchups with Kansas. What did you guys do to have success against somebody so dominant? You know, for, for him, it's just you know you're, you're trying not to give him any looks. Like you're trying. He works so hard. Bill runs so much good stuff for him. He comes off players. He goes underneath the baseline. They run, and he doesn't need much time. We were trying not to leave him at all um, and, and really just be underneath him on every single catch, and that's easier said than done. Um, I thought he got free a bunch. Kansas, is, they were running that dribble drive where they were just going downhill, going downhill, and they were creating help and recovers and kicking it, and he got some good open looks. I just When he rises up, he's got a quick, he elevates, He's just trying to get underneath him quick on that shot. McCormick is, is, is a true center, and there's not as many of those in the country in basketball anymore. But when he, the deeper he gets it, the more effective he is. I mean, he was burying you – know, I, I thought he was really getting deep positions on a couple of the, you know, the tournament games in the last one where he caught it, and he was like three feet away where he just kind of drop-stepped, and he was right there at the rim. you got to make that like a seven- or eight-foot hook you know, or more, just trying to, we, we talked with our post players when I was with Rick Macheris, do your work early as a post defender. When you do your work late after he already catches it, that's the second battle. You get, the first battle is where he catches it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a part of the game. And the second thing is McCormick can really pass. Watch when he catches in the post tonight. The first thing he does is he's going to look over his shoulder and see if anybody's coming. And if you're coming or digging, he is an elite passer to the weak side. And I think, you know, watching teams come and then sometimes we come on the dribble to where he started dribbling and then come because it's really hard to come right away on him. And uh, I think those are two storylines to watch. The other storyline is their defense. They're, they're so, you know, they're, they're big across the board. You know, they, you know, Harris gets into you so hard on the ball and then they set three, four and five are, are all two, three, four, five or six, six and bigger. And they switch everything. And, and then the last thing is I thought North Carolina did a really good, I mean, they were setting that high ball screen against Duke and they were getting downhill, getting downhill. And then they throw it to the drift and one more for a three. And McCormick is one of the best big men in the country on ball steering defense. You watch how he moves and how aggressive he is on his defense against that high ball screen against North Carolina. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Porter Mosier, Oklahoma men's basketball head coach who reached the final four with Loyola Chicago back in 2018, prepping us for uh, how to, how to face Kansas. Um, You know, this is a team 
that has been spectacular in the second halves against teams. Miami led them, and then they put them away. Um, do you see something in the second half that they do differently? Are they adjusting, or are they just executing better on the same things they start with? Sarah, it's a great question, and, and this is they're, they're older. Um, they're, they're older. They don't get frazzled. And here's a great, you know, I'll, I'll pull my Chicago Steve Stone reference out. For all <laughs> you young kids out there listening, yep. <laughs> you know, this, this is a, Christian Braun is a great example. Christian started off the game. His first jump shot hit the backboard only. Then he bricked, he, he missed like all his shots, but it didn't let him affect the rest of his game. He still had like six rebounds, five assists, was playing great deep. And he just, it didn't, his missed shots didn't, his offense didn't dictate the rest of his game. And then all of a sudden he's staying with it mentally and competitive. And a veteran does that. He hit three monster shots in the, in the last two minutes or under. He had two threes and then a pull-up at the end of the shot clock. Eight straight points when he had like two the whole game. And that's what veterans do. Guys that have been on that stage, older guys, um, that they don't get, they don't let the moment get too big. I think Kansas just, they just keep playing. They know it's 40 minutes. They've been in a lot of close games in the Big 12. And they just, I mean, they did the same thing against us. Brown hit, Brown hit a shot uh, down two at our place under a minute to go up one. And it just was a dagger. And you're sitting there going, man, they, they, they don't, they don't, they're, they don't panic. They're older guys. If that's one side of it, North Carolina's on the other side, Coach. Coming off such an emotional win over Duke, what that means for that program, how do you capture that, manage that, and go into a national championship and do it the right way? You know, you can't there's, – there's times when you're in a game and, like, in a tournament setting where you win a game and you're like, all right, all right, we got another one to play. we got another one to settle down. Well, that, that's impossible. <laughs> that was that last game. I mean, I was there, and I didn't want to leave. I'm, I'm sitting there like some. I was sitting there at one time, like, well, about, it's so crowded. About five minutes left to go. I'm going to get out here and beat the crowd. You couldn't move. You didn't want to move. I didn't want to move. I stayed there until everybody's standing. It was electric. It was one of the most electric games in an arena I've ever seen, ever been to. And when the the magnitude of the game, the rivalry, the the storyline of Coach K, the everything. And you, but it looked like that was the final game, the way they celebrated, the way they all were, you know, they wouldn't leave the court. You know, it, it was a, and Kansas won and just got off the court. So who knows how that's going to play out, but that was like complete euphoria after that game for the Carolina players and fan base as it should be. But yeah. that's, that was a very, very high, high, high moment. And rare for a game to live up to the hype, but we got it for sure. Hey, Porter, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the game tonight. Sarah, I had to ask you real quick. I know I'm on time. Yeah. I was at a, a restaurant uh, pub in, in New Orleans, and I couldn't hear the volume. And I look up, and it's you. And you were in some – you were on your uh, Around the Horn show in some yeah. crazy wig. What, what was that? I couldn't hear the we volume. We were all dressed as great. Coach K. <laughs> <laughs> we were Is that all, what it was? We were all Coach K. Izzy was uh, Kville. That's why he had a tent on his head. The rest of us were supposed oh. to be Coach K. <laughs> well, you were plastered all over the bar at the time. And it good, got good. Paused, so. Another great, fine, great proud job, moment great. for me on national television, dressed <laughs> like a man. There, there have been many. Uh, <laughs> Coach, if you win enough great games, maybe one guys. day, maybe one day I'll be dressed like you on TV. Uh, thanks so much you for the time. you got to have the big time. ears. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> all right, see you. Thanks, thanks Coach. Coach. Ha, ha, ha.
Love the gotta have the big. Uh, that's self awareness the big right ears. there. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. From I Porter swear to Bellinger. God, though, if he, if, if 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 we wake up tomorrow and he's taking an NBA job, we we get a cut. Yeah, we got the bump. The, yeah. the Spain and Fitz bump. You could follow him at Porter Mosier. Interesting to hear from him about. I mean, trying to recruit during COVID, everybody leaves in the transfer portal. Like, I'm excited to see what he can get done at Oklahoma with a little more time. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's oh. right. You can listen to all of your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Coming up, we're less than an hour away from Kansas UNC in the national championship. We'll help preview it and give you our predictions next. Spain and Fitz. We were talking about this during the commercial break of Around the Horn today. What's the song that gets people of all ages at a wedding on the dance floor? We were saying maybe Jackson 5, ABC 1, 2, 3, maybe a little September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I suggested that of the younger performers, um, um, Bruno Mars could get even the old folk on the dance floor, even if they're not familiar, just because the beat, you're like, oh, I can't not dance to this. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like, Bruno would be, I think, near the top of that list. I mean... Yeah, I, 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 there's enough legendary hits, uh, legendary feeling hits for him also that, you know, sample old stuff. I, I feel like Bruno's yeah. a really safe bet. Also, uh, you know, there, there's some level of uh, you know, baby got back stuff that works at yeah, weddings Yeah, but that's too. not going to get a lot of the old folks that would feel uncomfortable. Uh, I'm I, talking... I'm talking grandma and grandpa yeah, all the a, way down to the kiddos. We're not that far off from that grandma and grandpa Okay, age, talk for so. yourself. Speak I mean, for just, yourself. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking that burden on you got just Got a lot of yet, friends okay? and grandparents. Listen, Fitz, as long as we remain <laughs> childless, oh, we don't fair. have to grow up and mature. That is People fair. People can't tell how old we are based on our dogs. Mm -hmm. Just don't have any kids. No real responsibilities, and people will just let you act whatever age you feel. You're That's not what I'm going with. You're not wrong that about that at all. That is what I'm going with. Uh -huh. It's Spain and Fitz, the very young Spain and Fitz, definitely not <laughs> grandparents, Spain and Fitz, on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, 2022 national title game for the men tonight. Only the second time ever, Fitz, that you've got a one seed and an eight seed. And I would tell that at the beginning of the tournament, a lot of people would have laughed at the idea of UNC making this game. If you had said midseason when they were losing to bad, really bad teams, you would have said absolutely not. But there's a story about Hubert Davis on the first day of practice last summer putting a photo of the Superdome in the locker room and telling his players to tell their parents to start booking hotels and flights for New Orleans because he thought they could get to the Final Four in his first year. And we probably would have laughed at him if we'd heard that story then. But look at him now, the lowest seeded team tied for to reach the final since seeding began in 79. Uh, it's a stunning turnabout. And what's funny to me is that it's North Carolina. So when we see Kansas versus North Carolina, it feels natural. Like, because we have two blue bloods that have had so much success playing in a national championship game. But the past of North Carolina doesn't speak to this current team. This current team, to your point, took a long time to gel and really get to the spot that they're in now. And I would argue that they were even inconsistent after the Duke win because we all talk about beating Duke at Cameron. That was great. But in the ACC tournament, uh, it was North Carolina that looked bad against Virginia Tech. And that turned out to be a pretty good Virginia Tech team. But coming in, I had no idea what to expect from this North Carolina team. So the fact that they have played so well through the tournament, but also so loose through the tournament has been really fun to watch. Like this is a team that just looks comfortable in every situation. And that I think is a bit of everything when you're talking about a national championship game and handling the moment. Yeah. I mean, 
I think there's so many storylines around tonight, and Bill Plaschke on Around the Horn today seemed to be holding it against Kansas that they had been able to advance with ease. He felt like the fact that they hadn't experienced some serious ad- adversity on the way here is a detriment. And I, I I simply disagree. I think what we've seen from Kansas in particular is the ability to read a team in the situation and put together immaculate second halves to put away teams that are either challenging or leading at the half. I don't look at that as a detriment. I look at this as a dominant Kansas team. They won their Elite Eight and their final four games by more than 15 points. That's the first team to do that since Memphis in 08. Uh, now, Memphis did end up going on to lose in the title game, uh, which, you know, later vacated, yada, yada. We don't need to get into those details. But I don't think that this team looks like one that's prone to a to a disaster at the title game. I think that's more likely to be UNC just because whether or not they believe themselves to be mentally and physically prepared for this and mentally and physically over what happened Saturday night, I don't know how you expect that out of anyone. Yeah, and I would argue that the Kansas ability to win, like they showed a lot in the Final Four against Villanova. Now, it was a Villanova team minus Justin Moore, which was going to be a huge portion of the way this game played out, I think, in the minds of most of us. But I wondered, knowing that Villanova was without probably the most important difference maker for the matchups in that game, I wondered if Kansas would come out a little bit, you know, just not not flat, but a little bit like we got this, you know. And they didn't. Instead, they came out and were absolutely aggressive about putting Villanova away early, which they did. And and so I look at Kansas and say, they've had the opportunity. It, it's better to be lucky than good in life. But when you are lucky, you need to be able to be good to follow through with it. And that's exactly what happens in that Villanova matchup. Kansas comes out really aggressive. So, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about Baycott, and nobody knows what the ankle really feels like right now. We, we probably won't know for a long time. But I feel less confident in North Carolina's ability to be the best of themselves in this game because they are missing somebody that would be an important physical part of the, and the way this game plays out. They don't have them. So I look for Kansas to come out the way they did against Villanova with the level of we're going to take you out of this game quickly so that you don't get the belief that you can. And, and that's important in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Baycott is huge. And I mentioned that earlier. They're a minus 80 with him off the floor and a plus 300-something with him on. He has been absolutely huge on both ends of the floor. What percentage he's available is going to make a big difference. And I think they will probably early in this game throw some bodies at him and see how he can move, how how fast he is, how his lateral movement is. And potentially, even if he's in and playing, see if he's a step slow enough to get him to draw some fouls and send him to the bench. We've known for the entirety of this run that North Carolina doesn't have much of a bench. I think it's 36 minutes plus for four of their five starters in the last game. This is a team that you could try to tire out and make them go deeper and then expose the guys that come in. Now, you could move Manic to the five spot, um, which would be a really weird and tough mismatch for, for McCormack uh, as far as the UNC side of thing. Because McCormack is huge, 6'10", 250, and you saw the stuff that he was able to accomplish inside against Villanova. As much as Manic is only giving up an inch in height, very different game style, and trying to run him into the post against McCormack, I think it's going to make for a tough decision for UNC if they find that Baycott can't go hard enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think McCormack, to your point, 25 points against Villanova and Mm -hmm. just an absolute physical. 10 for 12 from the floor with nine boards. Like just efficiency. I mean, that, that, yeah, there's this moment of that one person that just looks bigger, stronger, badder, and that's who he was, you know. And then 
you put Ochai on on this roster too. It just feels like a bad. I'm not even going to try it. I, I was wow, safe you with really it. Yeah. that was worse than earlier. No, I, you're I, actually I, getting Ochai you're getting was fine. worse. Ochai was good. Sh- I got that part of it. No, I just, you're missing. You're missing. Okay. I'm just not right, doing the Abaji part. All right. Just See, I just had to warm up. To it. You look real nervous about the temperature. Yeah, I was like, it's the Abaji part that I, you're you know, sweating. I'm never comfortable with it. But you know, uh, you you factor in the two of them together, and it just becomes what feels like a difficult matchup for North Carolina. And so much of this is about matchups. So I I have a hard time looking at now. Uh, the other part of it is there is some proof of concept we've talked about all of the failings of kansas but bill self does have a national championship and you know at at that point there has to be a little credit to that for all the times they haven't gotten it done they have gotten it done once so we know that they are capable we've never seen north carolina in this moment uh with this coach so we have no idea what it'll look like yeah i mean it would be a great moment obviously for kansas if they get the win but talk about the pressure that hubert davis puts on everybody if he wins it his first year but especially the rest of that conference duke right john shire taking over from coach k and immediately being like well, all right hubert davis won one in his first year how oh you God. recruiting that is going to be moving wild. forward as duke that is, recruiting and, against a guy that just won in his first year and every year Hubert's going to be held to this standard now yeah. which is going to be wild to any wild for to him but to have one under your belt is great for john shire you're just looking across like come on man you're sending me up for something tough.